This is Fuse FM. The UCU has condemned the university for posting an operating surplus of over £40 million while staff are striking overpay. David Swanson, the branch president of the UCU, branded the report as an absolute scandal. Here is Joanna, a TA who is striking, telling us more about the UCU strikes. When you work out my hourly rate, I'm, I'm working for two, three pounds an hour. That's why I'm striking. It's it's exhausting. It's um, as an early career researcher, it's a life of short-term, one-year contracts, often in different cities, and there's no stability. You know, I'm, I'm 30 years old now. I'm getting married next year. I'm starting to think about settling down and living my life. UCU members are expected to conclude their eight-day strike on Wednesday. Warehouse Project and Parklife founder Sasha Lord has chaired a wide-ranging discussion on student safety in Manchester. During discussions, Mayor of Greater Manchester Andy Burnham said the recent fire in Bolton was a scandal that should be a call to arm change. A report has found that cheating at UK universities has more than doubled in the last decade. Data showed a number of students investigated for academic malpractice has quadrupled over the last five years alone. In lighter news, the Mancunian arts editor has questioned whether the Tumblr blog of Vice-Chancellor Nancy Rothwell looking at things could be classified as art. You can read the full story in this week's issue. That's all for now. You're in focus. Views FM. Manchester Student Radio. Hello, you're here. You're here with us. It's Fusing Focus yet again on the airwaves in the Manchester SU. It's very good. It's going to be a high-energy show. It's going to be a very high-energy show. Like, I think we're all feeling good about this. And then, We are totally prepared. And then next week, we'll balance it out, because that'll be after the election, and we'll, we'll, we'll all just be very low-energy, we'll be very depressed... And then, so this week we've got to balance it out, upbeat. That that's the name of the game. We're going to try and make this episode sort of general election free, aren't we? Yeah, no talk of that. No talk of politics in any capacity whatsoever. That's our challenge for the episode, <laughs> which will be well done by us. So, should we introduce ourselves? Uh, my name's James. I'm Josh. And I'm Rebecca. And together we are fusing focus. Our powers combine. We form together to become a more powerful version of ourselves <laughs> greater than the synergy. sum of our hearts synergy um, if anyone hasn't heard the show before what we do is we take a few choice stories that otherwise you know might not be able to be fleshed out in as much detail as we'll be able to here um, we're gonna, we've got a few interesting stories this week about 10 minutes Ooh, a piece yes. and we've got a little funny one at the end for you so Josh let's get right into it could you give us our first story please uh, we're going to start off on our student story, and the university has been fighting fire yet again. I feel as though it hasn't sort of stopped, you know, having to tackle protests and strikes and, you know, general sort of unrest at the university. Um, this time, there have been a lot of trouble among sort of teaching staff, PhD students, um, anyone really who supports the strike. Um, as a lot of you might know, the eight-day strike, um, you know, the row of pay pensions that ended on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, this story came out on Friday, and essentially the University of Manchester sort of quietly slipped out this £40 million operating surplus Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time as people were were rowing because they weren't being paid enough. Um, So the UCU have totally condemned that. They said it's an absolute scandal. Um, And David Swanson has said that, you know, our staff are working something like 50 hours um, and they're complaining about their pay when the university is sitting on top of this operating surplus. Um, Of course, the university will say that this is needed and it's essential for sort of ongoing investment. Um, but I mean, I suppose that's sort of in the eye of the beholder. If, if, if you're not investing in your staff, what does ongoing investment mean? 
And it's a very odd time for this to have come out as well on the basis of, um, obviously we've seen um, the environmental protests recently, like uh, we discussed uh, last week on the show, uh, I think it was last week when the uh, occupation was taking place in mm-hmm. the John Owens building. It has been quite constant. I feel sorry for the university's press office. I imagine it's just sort of, you know, there's sort of fire everywhere and, you know, there's papers <laughs> all over the place and there's someone there ripping their hair out. It, it must be it must be pretty tough. Like that scene from Threads. Yeah. <laughs> they get in every morning and they're just like, oh God, what's going on now? I, I know, but I mean, it must be quite an interesting job because you don't know what's going to come next. You, you walk in in the morning and you don't know who's going to be complaining. You don't know, you know, who's going to be praising the university. We've definitely sort of said our, our said some good things about the university on this on this show, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely have. We definitely have. High pitched boy. But I mean, uh, this uh, new document that come out, it's the sort of um, 2019 sort of financial review. Um, you know, but most universities put it out, and of course, it, it might just be bad timing that it's come out in the midst of the strike. Yeah. Um, but of course, some people have. But look, so that's led people to believe that it's come out quietly in sort of inverted commas, um, and they don't really publicise these documents when they do come out. Mm. Um, and you know, it, it's all in there. We've got sort of Nancy Rothwell in her four words. She says it's been a, a difficult year Ooh, for the sector, yes. um, but they've done a sort of reasonable, reasonable performance. Um, and you know, I think people are pretty angry about this. Rebecca, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think students especially are increasingly skeptical about universities' uh, mission to increase profits um, instead of investing in things that the student body and teaching staff are more more interested in. Um, And it seems like a a national trend into privatising education more. Um, I think UK universities are starting to look more and more like American universities Mm. with obscenely high tuition fees and underpaid staff. Mm-hmm. And that's not what it should be about. I, I definitely found that. I went out on Wednesday and I sort of tried to talk to some people on the picket line, sort of on the phone of the strikes, asked them how it was going. I asked them how many emails I'd have the next morning when they went back to work. Um, and I asked them sort of if they thought the strike was well, what they was doing. Yeah, a lot of people talked about the same things you did, the sort of, you know, marketization of education and sort of, you know, education becoming a, a commodity almost. Um, but my question is, is it is it the university's fault or is this just a system that's been imposed on it by the government, you know, by whacking up tuition fees? Is it just does it have to compete? Is there anything the university can do that to others you know or is it just sort of stuck in this system i think it is very systemic but obviously the university is is complicit in systemic changes Mm. um because the university could more actively try to fight against um what the government is implementing increased tuition fees they could be paying their staff better um and they're actively choosing not to and to have um to have a surplus of 40 something million instead so Maybe they should rethink their priorities. James, what is ongoing investment if it's not investment in stuff? That is a very, very good question, Josh, and I don't think I can answer that <laughs> here and now. <laughs> is, is it right that the university can post this surplus while staff are complaining, or not complaining, but you know have genuine grievances about how little they're paid? It's not right, no, and I think it, um, it, it it's one part of a much bigger picture, isn't it? Like, like th- this ties into a whole range of things. Like, like Rebecca was saying, it, it's about a sort of wider system of what the university is becoming and what the university's sort of sector, I suppose, across the UK is increasing. Like, it's not necessarily seen anymore as a place where people can go to sort of better themselves and, you know, learn more about topics they're interested in, learn a trade, learn a skill. University is increasingly about, you know, driving profits. Like, that's a big part of, you know, why staff, I would assume, are paid so low. I mean, I'm not a financer by any means, but... You know, I, that's the only reason I could see why staff would be paid so poorly for doing 50, but Actually, you can probably shed a bit of light on this, can't you? Because you've worked with, you know, pay and stuff like that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Uh, I've done a lot of stuff with like um, gender pay mm. like, and things. Um, I think within I mean, the, that's a, 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 something that comes up quite a lot. It is, it is. And especially within the university sector, I believe, I'm not sure of the exact figure, but there is a massive, massive gender pay disparity. Like female professors are paid, um, generally speaking, quite a bit less than male counterparts for doing the exact same job. And it, it, it's weird, you know, like, like the, these are problems that do definitely persist throughout the university system. Like, not this isn't just Manchester Uni. Like, any uni you go to in the country would have the same problem. I think there's a um, there's a thing you can go on online. I can't remember the name of the website. I'm very badly prepared. Um, where you can put in, like, a university or an institution or a company, and it will give you the exact figure of, like, this is the paid disparity between men and women and things like that. So, yeah, worth, worth Googling. Give Rebecca, what's your response to the university when they say that this strike and this row over paying pensions is just a national issue and they sort of palm it off as something that's happening everywhere and, you know, you nothing to do with me, Gov. What's your, what's your view on that? I think I personally think it's really quite lazy and irresponsible of the university Ooh, wow. to, <laughs> to <laughs> exempt... Shots I mean, fired! <laughs> I'm... As we said earlier, I'm not critical of the university overall, but in this particular instance, I think it's quite dismissive of the issue and it's not, I don't think they're trying to tackle it head on. And I think they're trying to point more to the systemic aspects of it rather than than take accountability and actually work on current problems. Mm, That makes sense. I'm going to throw out another huge question now. What should the University of Manchester be for? In terms of what? You know, should it be for education? Should it be for profit? Should it be for bettering yourself? What should it be for? And, and oh, you know, right. You hear oh, a lot about, you know, you know, the universities. I don't think education should ever be... Um, I don't think the objective should ever be, be to maximise profits, as it is in some countries. And I think the UK is tending towards that direction, mm. which I do not think is a good move. Mm. I, I think that we should, like, as a society... And maybe this is a bit I- idealistic of me. Like, I think that if somebody wants to better themselves, if somebody wants to learn something new, like, they should be able to and we should afford it. Like, like I think that we should give people every opportunity to go to university. And the problem that we're seeing now is that what with university becoming more and more expensive, you know, it's becoming harder for people from disadvantaged backgrounds to get in because it's just an unreasonable exactly. amount of money that they can pay. Like, like university should be for anyone across the board being able to go learn more, better themselves, put themselves out there and gain skills. And that's not what we've seen. And do you not think that it is at the moment? Because, you know, the, the current government would say that more young people are going to university than ever before. They would, they would. But I'd also say that um, taking out my postgrad loan like I had, I've got 75,000 reasons why that's not the case. Barry was a fiver. Also, I don't know if you guys have finished yet. You're both still on undergrads. Yeah. Like, the, the first letter you get after you graduate from student loans, it is just cold, monochrome. Right, you've had yeah. your fun. Where's the cash? Oh, no. Start paying up. Is, is it not the case that, you know, because in t- today's age, everything's online, everything's on, you know, the internet, you can find any sort of source of information you want, you can teach yourself anything. Do we not pay all this money just for the certificate, just to say you've graduated from the University of Manchester? That's essentially what we pay for, isn't it? Oh, God, Josh, you hit me with some bleak <laughs> yeah. questions here. It definitely does feel that I feel like I'm turning it into sometimes. a sort of philosophy podcast. I am sorry. <laughs> I often feel like I'm paying for my, my work, my coursework to be marked, but that apart from that, most things can be self-taught or yeah. you can gain through resource, resources online. I think especially through in like um, my experience of doing a postgrad here, like 
your contact time is actually very, very minimal. Most of your reading is them just giving you like a few reading lists and going, here you go, go away, learn, come back two hours a week. You can discuss it with us, go. So if you just had access to those materials online, like you wouldn't necessarily need like, so, so in, a, in a way, Josh, what you've done there is, is you've completely subverted my understandings of my own education. And now you've got me thinking that I have just paid to get a certificate. <laughs> it'll, it'll, get you, it'll get you places, though. It's a good certificate. <laughs> well, the university says it's important to note that more than 95% of our income is spent on our staff and students, research, education, infrastructure projects and social responsibility. The remainder is invested in the long-term sustainability of our university. Sustainability. Let's talk about it. Oh, you beat me to it. You beat me to it. I was going to segue and say, well, we need to foster an environment <laughs> where people... Uh... Very good. People who are listening now have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Josh, come on. Could you explain to us a little bit more about this? What, what are we talking about? We, we, we've passed the 10-minute mark, which means we seamlessly cross over into another story. Um, and this time, we'll be going to be talking about Manchester. We're going to talk about the region. We'll talk about something sort of a bit more um, you know, close to home, but not particularly to do with the university and this is a story in the Mancunian who's written by our amazing Megan who's producing the show right now and it basically is about Greater Manchester being named a top global region in tackling climate change um, so it's been ranked as one of the top regions um, for all its action on climate change by an international charity um, and essentially it's it's you know been on an A-list of states it seems to be doing really really well in terms of what it's doing to, to, to fight fire and to you know well Quite literally fight fire but to you know help the environment and to do things to you know to, to help the climate and i think this is going to be another sort of feather in the in the in the bow of andy burnham when he runs for re-election very soon um what do we think guys i think it's great i think it's obviously great like like i, I love it when manchester leads the charge and things like this and it's nice to see that um i, I don't know it, it's kind of recognized in a certain way like i know andy burnham has gone to so many efforts to try and reduce emissions to try and like clean up the air around manchester so i don't know it's nice to see something like good for the region and that it's actually formally recognized but uh, yeah I, I really really like this story I burnham seems to be the sort of politician who's happy to make promises he'd, he'd, he'd sort of prefer to aim high than sort of not aim for anything at all i think he'd prefer to aim high and miss than sort of you know he'd, he'd prefer yeah. to make these big grand promises which you know is the sort of politician he is and i think you know do people like andy burnham what's our view on I, I really like him. I think with um, like, especially a lot of the things that he's had to say about like sort of homelessness within the city and within Greater Manchester as a whole, like with his bed every night scheme that kind of collapsed. But you know, like otherwise, you know, he might not have drawn as much attention to it as he otherwise would have been able to. So yeah, I, I really dig Andy Burnham. I've got a lot of time for him. Eureka, do you think Manchester's leading the way on climate change? Do you think it's doing good things? Yeah, I think it's particularly impressive that they're decarbonising the economy here in Greater Manchester, considering Manchester's industrial heritage. So it just goes to show that um, cities can evolve in a matter of centuries. Um, and innovations that were positive centuries ago can lead to, you know, innovations to contest those previous innovations. Andy Burnham says that they've sort of been working towards this and they're talking about sort of social and industrial innovation. Um, you know, Manchester was the home of an industrial revolution. Will it be the home of a new industrial revolution? We hear a lot of sort of political parties banding around this, you know, this Green New Deal and stuff like that. Can, can we see Manchester being home to, to something like that? Definitely. James is shaking Manchester his head regressively often, saying, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Manchester's often a pioneer in these kind of activist um, 
just in changing the world. <laughs> it's a very activist city, isn't it? And it cares deeply it about, about these issues. And I think we're going to see a lot more done by Manchester. What do we think of um, a, a particular university in the city? Could they, could they be doing more, do we think? Or? <laughs> <laughs> what a segue, what a segue. James, give us your thoughts. Um, obviously they could. Obviously they could, Josh. If that's if that's what we're getting at here, then yes, they definitely, definitely. Well, they could. do seem to be moving in the right direction. Um, they do, after... they do, but they do still have eleven million pounds invested in fossil fuel companies. <laughs> uh, after negotiations with the John Owens protesters, they you know promised they were going to sort of review their um, you know investment policy in in uh, fossil fuel companies, and said it was going to work towards sort of carbon neutral investments which is you know tantamount to, to divestment really they just said it in different words so we didn't appear that they'd lost out um i mean do, do we think that it will stop here do we think they'll keep going or do we think that you know they're going to try and lead the way like the rest of greater manchester hopefully like you know if we've got um you know the, the, the city being recognized i can only assume that that will hopefully make the city and companies within the city double down and really really ambitiously push for manchester to lead the way and if the uni isn't following them there then that's a massive massive missed opportunity and uh-huh. they definitely should yeah. Ma- manchester has it within its character to lead the charge in this and yeah. i believe it there's a i've just been googling here there's a brilliant quote by george orwell uh, yes we're getting orwellian here, here. we go um <laughs> he said manchester is the belly and guts of the nation and that is just that does yes. it for me that that just ticks that box like yes it is yes we can let's do it let, let, let's lead the charge in the fight against climate change i think it could soon be the, the lungs of the country couldn't it it could help us, <laughs> help us breathe a bit better help clean the air up you know and I, I mean manchester's been doing all these things for a long time it's been you know putting a lot of money into walking and cycling it's you know put a lot of money into public transport um Oxford road was i don't know how recently but that was you know that used to have cars going up and down it and it doesn't anymore yeah now the, um, the, it's so easy to yeah. cycle in and out of manchester yeah, through oxford so road and like the tram network is incredible my love for the metro link knows no bounds <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the Metro. <laughs> Shout out to MetroLink memes on Facebook. Oh, there's a there's a Metro what? There is a MetroLink memes page, and it is just memes about the trams. Oh, no, there's a Facebook Can you read group. a few out, perhaps? Can you tell us some of the some of the memes? I want to hear this. <laughs> I know. I mean, there's a guy who does the, the the sort of travel for Greater Manchester signs, and he's pretty good. But he's more about sort of you know motorists and stuff like that. But whenever there's a big event, he often puts sort of funny um, <laughs> funny signs up and, and stuff well, like that. There's this massive Facebook group called new urbanist memes for transit oriented teens wow. I mean, no i'm a huge i fan don't know what any of those words it's mean. got tens of thousands of public transport fans in it and they're all just <laughs> passionate about their cities about urbanization but sustainable urbanization wow. and their local transit systems and it's just a really wholesome online community that, that's pretty cool. i feel like a, an avid Metrolink lover like James. James is <laughs> would furiously feel very, scrolling. Would feel very welcome by that to... community. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah. would. James, just while you're, you're trying to get that up, I don't know if you'll succeed, but what's your favourite thing about the Metrolink or your favourite couple of things about the Metrolink? I, I like, without question, it, it makes me feel so part of the city. You know, the distinctive... Actually, sorry, before you go into that, on, what is on. the Metrolink? Is it just the trams? Is it? Is it what, what does the Metrolink entail? I don't really know. So the Metrolink is not only the trams, but a few of the bus services as well. Generally speaking, that help facilitate people getting in and around Greater Manchester. Um, it's really, really highly regarded. As I, I remember reading a thing like, oh, this, this is making me sound like such a Metrolink nerd, but I do <laughs> actually love it. I read a study that was conducted about the Manchester tram <laughs> service. And it, like, in terms of like, on, on a global level, it is an incredibly robust bit of infrastructure. Change isn't going anywhere, folks. Next year, he'll be doing a PhD on the Metrolink. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but no, I just, I love it. Like, I've got the page up here, and they, they just post stuff like this. So, like, um, there's a comparison between having a boyfriend and the Metro. <laughs> so, boyfriend has, to its credit, um, never takes you anywhere, will probably break up with you, never sticks to plans, dull and boring. The Metro Link takes you all over the city, will always be there for you, runs on a schedule, and is bright and beautiful. Bright and beautiful. It's true. Uh, I love it so much. I love it so much. Oh, uh, my right. life. Should, I, we, should we move on to I, our third I, story? I, don't, I, just, I think we should... We're not going to beat that segment, so we should just leave it there. When we do, when we do a show reel on the highlights from Fusion Focus, that will be front and centre. You know, James's love of the Metro Link. You know the first episode when you sort of introduced us all and it was like Cantankerous Conrad and, and it's going to be like Metro Link... Je- I don't know, I'm trying to think of a... Uh, it doesn't I, really I, work. I, I need no, a sort of a, there's a, no a, synonyms for Metro Link. A mead of transport that we can take. <laughs> oh, do you know who's not bright and beautiful? Who? Well, actually, his hair is. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what a segue! What a segue! So the story that Josh is trying to lead into there. Um, in case anybody hasn't seen, this week there is a NATO summit which is happening in London. So a lot of world leaders are gathering together. They all gathered together. They've gathered. Because someone decided to leave the party early. <laughs> So, um, if anybody hasn't seen, it's like, like we were saying before we started recording, it is like a high school drama. Like, all of these leaders, you would hope and imagine, have a certain level of, I don't know, diplomatic skill. They're able to sort of talk civilly. But it's not happened that there's been so much, like, backstabbing and comments that's been made. Um, they can just sort of chat crud about each other in different languages. It's great. They can. Yeah. Uh, Trudeau got. Um, if anybody didn't see, but there was um, a clip of somebody like. I think we can play it, can't we? Can we? Can we? Yeah, if we've got it up to hand, I'm not sure if we'll be able to make it out. Becca said she was going to try and do some, some narration. Yeah, some some commentary. Some... Right. So we're watching the clip right now. We see Trudeau smugly drinking a glass of wine, talking to Boris and Macron and an unnamed other. Rutter, isn't it? <laughs> so even even the subtitles say a lot of inaudible. We've got sort of Princess Anne there as well. She's she's there, and they're all essentially slagging off Trump, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Can we, have we got audio? Or is it not going to? Oh, audio! Audio is to follow. Essentially, you know, Trudeau's got his hands in the air. Macron's very animated. <laughs> with back to everyone. Um, and this has caused a bit of an international, an you international. Can, you stern. can also make out Trudeau's charismatic side, yes. but by <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump called Justin Trudeau two faced, didn't he? I mean, I, I, I think I can speak to a lot of people. We wish he had two faces. <laughs> <laughs> Um, are we sort of are we struggling audio wise, or do we just? Oh, here we go. Megan, our producer, she's on the case. Let's see if we can hear we hear Working Trudeau slagging it. Trump off. We'll, we'll get there, guys. If you're listening live, shame on you. If you listen to the podcast, we'll cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in case anybody, um, whilst we're sort of getting that up, um, basically you, you can quite distinctly make out Trudeau talking about um he's mocking trump for taking yeah. 40 minutes per press conference as taking too long um there's a bit when you, you hear macron sort, sort of jibing him back and he's, he's talking about how it, he said things and it caused um jaws to hit the floor and whatnot um yeah hopefully we should be able to get the audio for that oh yeah megan's got a finger up she's 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 here we go we are. Way! 
And honestly, with Trudeau, he's a nice guy. I, I find oh, him that's, very this nice is guy. from the, the press conference that, following. Uh, I told him out of the fact that he's not paying 2%, and I guess he's not very happy about it. I mean, you were there, a couple of you were there, and uh, he's not paying 2%, and he should be paying 2%. It's Canada, they have money, and they should be paying 2%. So I called him out on that, and I'm sure he wasn't happy about it, but that's the way it is. Look, I'm representing the U.S., and he should be paying more than he's paying, and he understands it. So I can imagine, I can imagine he's not that happy, but that's the way it is. So that's Donald Trump, you know, hitting back. Yeah, that's his response to Trudeau, calling him two-faced, but a nice guy nonetheless. This is the original clip. Here we go. We might need some explanation. So they're all talking about how long Trump takes um, press conferences. Kind of. I watched his team's jaws just drop to the floor. That's Trudeau in there. Pretty dry voice as well. Well, that's it. That's so, so, yeah, there we <laughs> certainly go. Certainly more animating in person. We can uh, I mean, <laughs> it's interesting that this is quiet for Trump. You know, we hit, there's, there's a lot of headlines when he went home saying, you know, that Boris Johnson's guy are relatively unscathed and Trump didn't make any controversial statements. Mm. If this is quiet for a US president, I mean, <laughs> what? I mean, I th- but he did say other things, though. He, um, in a press conference, he referred to, I'm going to totally mispronounce this, uh, Erdogan, the uh, yeah. Turkish president. Um, he described him as reckless. Um, Macron got recorded saying that the NATO summit was brain dead this year. Um, it's just, it's so catty. It's so, so catty. It absolutely blows me away that they're just making all these little remarks behind each other's backs. Fantastic entertainment, though. It is entertaining. It's entertaining, it's if just nothing what, else. This is what international affairs has boiled down to. Yeah, should, yeah. Our, should our diplomatic affairs be entertaining? Should we be here saying, oh, that was funny? Or is this the future of our, our, our lives? Well, in, in a way, I think it kind of, I don't know, it, it maybe demonstrates that people are sort of the same no matter what level of government they're at. Like, like people are still going yes. to have the same petty issues. Mm-hmm. I'm still certain that there's, um, you know, every now and again, like, tr- when they've got their little break room, someone's going to kick off because somebody didn't refill the coffee. Someone will have, like... <laughs> But like, just like, Macron, have you had the last of it, mate? You should have refilled it. Like, you, if you finish it off, you make more. And it's. Just, <laughs> I mean, basic human decency. <laughs> just at any level. Uh, I mean, and, and Trump's got rather bigger issues at home, hasn't he? He does, he does. But so does Johnson. So does Johnson. They've all got big issues I going mean, on. I mean, I think Trump's, you know. He's he's now asking the House of Representatives to impeach him faster, <laughs> um, which is something I didn't think I'd hear a US president say. Um, but kind of a mood. Yeah, what's what's the story, James? Um, so this is with regards to the impeachment. Yes. Um, I know that we discussed this again a few weeks ago on oh, the show. Oh, did we? Yeah. Um, yeah. So so Trump is presently undergoing um, a formal investigation for grounds for impeachment because he um, asked the president of Ukraine to dig up dirt on Joe Biden and asking someone to interfere in your election and find information on a political rival is obviously 
You're not good. Deeply illegal, goes completely against US election laws. Um, and now the, the 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 thing about him being um, asking the House of Representatives to impeach him faster, have yeah. I missed something so there? This what's, is, what's, what's happening um, there? Essentially sort of, you know, Nancy Pelosi's brought it forward a little bit and she's, you know, came out and made a big speech and she's quoting the founding fathers and she's, you know, really passionate and she's saying that our president can't get away with this, our president's not above the law, we're a nation that was founded on the rule of law um, and she's saying all, the, all these sorts of things and essentially, you know, Donald Trump thinks he's not getting a fair trial and his sort of thinking is that if they do impeach him faster, it will then go to the Senate um, and he'll be put on trial. Um, so impeachment is essentially just a, you know, a, a fancy way of condemning someone mm-hmm. um, and then that goes to the Senate and the only way that the president can be removed from office if the Senate, a Republican-held Senate, we might add, um, you know, basically says that he's not fit for office and he has to go. Um, and of course, this is all going to go along party lines. Um, while impeachment is a big, sort of huge, historic and symbolic thing, um, this doesn't mean that Trump's going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. Um, so yeah, his his view is, you know, get on with it, <laughs> and I'll go to the Senate, and all my pals will back me up, essentially. <laughs> what I think is insane is that during all these impeachment proceedings, um, Trump's aide Rudy Giuliani has been in Ukraine. For no transparent reason. Got no idea. Left all in jail. I mean, yeah, his probably his last man standing is in <laughs> Ukraine, which is the most suspicious place he could probably be right yeah. now. Um, I think he's coming back to America today, so mm. we'll see what what his trip entails. <laughs> I, I feel as though the moral of the story is: we look at you know, the uh, the NATO summit, we look at what's happening in America, um, we look at what's happening here. We have Boris Johnson, who is you know likely to to at least win a slim majority, or you know perhaps at the very least be a, the biggest party in a hung parliament. The moral of the story is. This isn't normal. Things are things are things are happening. This is a yeah, very strange things, things time are in international up politics. On an international level, um, and they're, they're heating up quite literally on an international level. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that man, would have been a good segue. That would have been a perfect. Segue, but we have come to the end. <laughs> we could just pretend it's a segue, and then <laughs> I don't know. So, um, one more story before we go. Uh, oh, just, yes, just a, a little bit of a funny one. Josh hasn't actually seen this, so we get to capture his live reaction. <laughs> oh, so, man. in case anybody hasn't seen, obviously. Obviously, yesterday, the Spotify year summaries came out for everyone. Um, has everyone seen their yearly summary? How did how did people feel uh, about it? Oh, I mean, I, I haven't... I, I, sort of, I got my I, decade I, summaries. You got yeah. your decade yeah. summaries? Well, the your, past five years. Who was your most listened to artist of the decade? Queen. And three years strong. in a row. <laughs> that is strong. So that was commitment. I go between Spotify and Apple Music because they, uh, they, they keep me, they keep messing me up. So pick I go between, a side. It's market pick a forces, side. James. It just has market to be Spotify forces. because of Spotify rap. There's no other way. Yeah, Spotify I mean, rap it's very it good. But the, 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 yeah. It wouldn't give me a student discount, so I decided to bugger off and go to Apple. Um, so yeah, <laughs> is market there Apple forces. rap though? I don't think so. I, don't think there is. I mean, I've only been there for three months, so it's going to be you know. I got a um, message, but in fact, Rebecca messaged me to <laughs> to, to point out that um, I shared my like most listened to songs of the year um, on my Instagram story, and it was pointed out to me that my second most listened to song of the year was um, the EU's anthem, which has got me... What? Yeah, Ode to Joy. Ode to Joy. Um, no, Ode but it was, I think it was, on your Spotify rap, there was the German lyrics. Yes, and I was like, specific- surely this isn't... Surely. Wow. <laughs> it was specifically, that there's one particular version that I like of like the crescendo at the end of Ode to Joy. They and certainly is, don't play that at Warehouse Project, do they? I know, and I, I racked up like 37,000 hours this year. So, so Just I listening hope, to that? No, God no, God no. But, but I hope that speaks volumes about how many times I have just had to like go into my room and just listen to Ode to Joy. It's like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Oh, that's amazing. So um, on the light of that, um, yesterday... 
we had an absolute just bit of PR genius uh, put out on the Labour Party's official channels. Josh, have you just seen it, or do you want me to? <laughs> I've, I've just, I've just seen it. Yes. So it is absolutely. Do you want to read it out to us? So, um, <laughs> UK Labour put out um, Toryfy, like in, in the exact same style as, um, uh, like the the Spotify summaries were. Um, with top artists David Cameron, Theresa May, Boris Johnson minutes listened 10 years top genre austerity top songs <laughs> top songs failure to take action on Grenfell, pushing millions of wow. children into poverty, selling off the NHS, record levels of food bank use, Windrush, do not replay vote Labour Labour put this out Labour put this yeah, out and then, and then they put out um, quotes to define your decades and they, they put out just a bunch of um, Boris Johnson quotes. We can't so, even read these out. These are appalling. Yeah. <laughs> but it is worth bearing in mind that these are actual things. These are that, actual quotes that, from that our, Tory MPs. That our Prime Minister said, the top five. Uh, but for a bit of balance, if we had to do it the other way around, what do we think Labour's top artists and top genres would be? Actually, there is another way around. Oh, okay. Because, because it's not just Labour that have been getting on the memes. Oh. Um, I don't know if anybody. It has seen, been a meme election, hasn't it? The, the <laughs> Conservatives on their official YouTube channel put out a three-hour mix of lo-fi Boris Johnson beats. <laughs> oh for my a... god! <laughs> um, and it is nothing but just like lo-fi backing music. And Megan every, is like... furiously plugging in her phone. And every... <laughs> she wants to play it. <laughs> and every 20 seconds or so, a Boris Johnson quote plays over the top about how we need to get Brexit done. Wow. It's just, this is what elections are now. Is it's, you know, which party has the best memes? She's Have got, we got it. it. Yes, Have we got it? Come on, it. Let's hear it. You guys are in for a treat. Great disappointment. We've got to get Brexit done. <laughs> the streets have grown up a bit. Weirdly soothing. That, that's the new theme something tune that should not be soothing. <laughs> Another thing um, uh, that I, I thoroughly recommend to anyone who hasn't heard it. We all know Rory Stewart, the uh, MP, formerly Conservative. Has anyone heard the full um, 16 minutes speech he gave in Parliament in 2014 about hedgehogs? I think I might have sort of heard about it. No, but I want to. He spoke for 16 straight minutes about hedgehogs in Parliament and how much he loves them. And it is a brilliant, brilliant speech. And someone remixed it with like a lo-fi hip-hop backing. It's called like lo-fi Rory Stewart beats for hedgehog teens or something to that effect. I feel like no no Tory party member has ever listened to lo-fi before. I don't don't know no, they definitely haven't. But yeah, so that's that's a good story to end on. So there we it go. It is a good story to end on, I think. It's the, it's the meme election. It is the meme and election. we'll be and... far from laughing next week, I imagine. And I'm sure that next week we'll have a lot more time to go into the election. It's going to be the big story, isn't it? So um, hopefully you've enjoyed us being a bit more light-hearted, a bit more jovial this week. Because next week we're all going to be tired from having pulled an all-nighter to watch it. And sad. And sad. Uh, so you get to hear that. If you want to hear that, A, you can just listen back here. Same time, same place at 11 o'clock next week. Or if you haven't already followed us on Spotify, please do Fuse in Focus. We've got an Instagram at Fuse in Focus. Um, if you want to come on the show, if there's anything you'd like us to talk about, please find the Fuse FM News Presenters group on Facebook. We're always on the lookout for people that want to get involved. And a huge thanks to, to Megan, our producer, who's, who's made us sound wonderful today and has helped us listen to Boris Johnson's lo-fi beats. <laughs> um, so I've been James. I've been Josh. I've been Rebecca. Good talk, everyone. Fuse FM.